So I get the opportunity of starting a, a new sermon series today, and we just called it The Healing Power of Jesus, and we're going to step more fully in what that means. But if you remember through the, the Easter season, one of the things that we talked about is that we are people that live in a daily resurrection of Christ Jesus, and that, that resurrected hope that's in um, Christ Jesus and what it means to, to follow Christ Jesus. And so through the next few weeks, what we're going to look at as we kind of step back into the Gospels and the story of Jesus is how, in an ongoing way, every encounter that a person would have with Jesus, whether personal or group, there would be these moments where Jesus' words, actions, even physical touch at times would bring healing would bring restoration, would bring hope, would bring freedom, redemption, a, a, a new identity. And then as we look at those stories, part of what it brings up in us is the fact that our world is still so desperate for that healing touch from God. Still so desperate to be set free um, and made whole and complete. And so as we talk about healing, yes, that may be physically, in our physical bodies we need healing, but it may also be in, in our mind, in our emotion, in our spirit, um, that God is bringing healing. And, and what we realize is that God is still in the miracle working business. That through Christ Jesus, we can see miracles and um, a hope for difference, a hope for um, just a resurrection in our world, but also in our lives. And so as we think about the power of um, the healing power of Christ Jesus, we realize that it is made personal and it was made complete through the death and resurrection of Christ. Kind of just a funny story. Um, for me growing up, I started wearing glasses when I was in about the third grade, third, fourth grade. And at that point, I really wanted glasses, not because my eyesight was bad and I was like, oh, I need glasses. I just thought it would be cool. What third, fourth grader really thinks that, you know, it'd be so cool to have glasses? But um, so I was like, the day that they said, yeah, you need glasses, like, I was like, ah, it's awesome. And, um, but then <laughs> over the years, my eyesight has gotten much worse, where today, if I take my glasses off, like, I can't see beyond right here. Everything is a complete blur. But there were some times in, in my later teen years when I started figuring out that wearing glasses wasn't as cool as I thought it was, and it was a frustration, and even at times, like, would be a, um, a complication. I've had glasses, like, fly off my face and get broken. Uh, I tried contacts for a while, and that was annoying. Um, but there was a period of time in my, in my later childhood years where I would, every night, when I would take my glasses off and I'd sit on the side of the bed, I would pray a prayer in the dark of my room that, God, would you heal my vision so that I can see? And when I wake up in the morning, that I won't have to put my glasses on. I'll be able to look over, and I'll see the clock, and I'll be able to see. And I prayed that prayer day after day after day. And you know what? I was never healed. My, my eyesight is still um, just as bad or worse than it probably was at that point. And um, what's so amazing about that, and again, that's just like a little, little simple story, but it, there was something in my heart that, it had, that had captured an understanding that God does work miracles. And, and I, I was hoping and praying and, and having faith that, God, would you do something amazing here? There's been other points in, in Kristen and I's life where... Um, we have prayed for miracles to happen. We've prayed for family members to be healed. We've prayed for um, situations where it seemed like it was broken and we needed God to do the healing work of restoration to happen. That we've seen, we've seen miracles happen and we've seen time where there hasn't been miracles. And through it, what we've realized is in every situation, in every circumstance, regardless of the outcome, whether there's you know, a miracle 
and a miracle happens, what we were praying for happens, or whether nothing actually changes or even things get worse, is that in every moment, in every situation, it's an opportunity for our faith to grow stronger. There's a testing of our faith that happens. And so I think what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that as people have encounters with Jesus, there were opportunities for growth. There's opportunities for faith to be strengthened. There's opportunities for their understanding of who God was to be completely flipped upside down. And so today I just want to kind of set up where we're going and give us just kind of like a base understanding of what it is that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. But first, one of the things, and this is if you're a note taker, there's just a couple of things, a couple of thoughts that I want to pull out for us today. Um, But first of all, when we think about this idea of the healing power of Jesus as we interact with Jesus and what that means is that we have to acknowledge our need of healing. We have to acknowledge our need of healing. So when we think about this of like, okay, if Jesus um, does miracles and if Jesus is the one who has all the power of God within him, then we come to a place of realizing that if we're going to experience the power of Christ Jesus healing, first, we have to actually acknowledge that we have a need of healing. Now, again, when you hear this, you may automatically go, okay, wait a minute, like self-check, I'm not sick, I'm good, I don't need healing, right? But what we need to step back and realize is that, um, you know, sick or not sick, not everything in a scriptural standpoint, we think about a biblical standpoint of moments of healing was just about healing the physical body. Kind of like we said alone, it's this broader understanding that it's not just physical ailments, but we see that as people encounter Jesus, there are these healing moments, these restorative moments that happen where maybe there is a miracle that happens in the physical body, But what also is happening is that Jesus is setting people free, that he's restoring them, he's bringing strength to their body. There are so many miracles that Jesus works through the Gospels, and I tried to make a list of as many of them as I could, so stick with me here. Just listen to this list of Jesus' healing power. Jesus heals people of leprosy. Jesus restores the sight of blind men. Jesus heals many people who are near death. Jesus resurrects people from the dead. Jesus heals a man who had been paralyzed and unable to walk for decades. He casts out demons, restoring sanity to people's minds and lives. He brings the dead back to life, as I said. He he heals the damaged and unusable hand of a man and restores it to full strength. He gave back a man's hearing and his voice. He strengthened and straightened a woman's back that had been unable to stand up for nearly two decades. He reattached an ear after Peter cut it off. He healed sick children. He brought children back from the dead. And the list goes on and on, which also includes him resurrecting his own body back to life. So when we see these miraculous accounts through the biblical scriptures, we we realize that throughout the centuries, people have tried to make sense of the miraculous that Jesus was doing. People have tried to understand. Some people, they undermine it and say, oh, well, it was just this. Or, oh, medicine wasn't that back then. Or when they describe this, this is really what was happening. Or there are people that just kind of read right past it and go, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, Jesus did miracles. Cool, he was God, check. And then there are those that, that just go, okay, that's what Jesus was like. But today, I look around, Jesus isn't here. Jesus isn't here to pick dirt up from the ground and put it in somebody's eyes and give back vision. And and so maybe that's what Jesus was like, but is that really who God is today? 
I think we have to challenge ourselves with this place of broadening our understanding when we think about the healing power of God to realize that it's not just limited to our own understanding of, of the miraculous and Jesus doing healing miracles of physical bodies. But again, understanding that not just every healing moment was about just the body being healed, but it was about Jesus doing the work that he had been called to do to set humanity free, to restore us. So sometimes we have this automatic thinking, and we need to disrupt this automatic thinking that's in our mind where we hear the phrase, Jesus heals, and we think, oh, okay, it's just about physical healing alone. And realize there's so much more that the Spirit of God desires to do through these encounters with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he was restoring. He was setting free. We hear him even talk about it in John 3, 16. You know these verses, 16 and 17. Jesus' own words say, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. God sent his Son to the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We have to realize that the true salvation that Jesus is doing here is redemptive. It's restorative. That's what God was desiring to do through Christ Jesus. And so through the presence of Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity to experience a miracle. I want to encourage you, if you really are one that's in a place of saying, I need a physical miracle from God, these are the moments to pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray, you know, that, that, and invite Jesus to speak the words into your own life. Be healed. And that you would experience that. But maybe you're in a place where, again, it's not the, the physical healing that you need, but now's the time to experience a, a change, a transformation, a healing in your heart, in your mind, in relationships that you have. To invite Jesus to bring that restoring touch to your life. He can do it. We have to invite him in. We have, to, we have to trust him. And so when we pull back from this, we understand first that we need to recognize that every single one of us are in a place of needing healing from God in some way, in some way. It's part of the process of growing in faith, of being discipled, of maturing in our faith is realizing, okay, there are parts of me that I need God to work. I need Jesus to lay his hands on and to speak healing, to speak freedom. But we also at the same time, secondly, we have, to, we have to step into a place of seeing what biblical healing really looks like. What does it really mean? And it's kind of continuing in the same line of thinking that I've already been explaining, is that we reshape our understanding about the idea of biblical healing. You know, there was never a moment in Jesus' stories where the, the miracle that he was doing was limited just to physical healing. Even in the moments where there was a, a healing miracle that happened, it was something beyond that that was unlocking in a person's heart and in their life. I was listening to um, author, pastor, theologian that I really love. His name's James Brian Smith. Um, I was listening to his podcast this week. It's called Things Above. And, and in it, he, he shared this quote from St. Augustine. I'm going to share the quote, and then I want to explain what he said about it, because it, it really opened up something for me in thinking about the way that G we experience Jesus and the way that Jesus even um, was encountering those that were around him. But there is this quote that um, Smith shared from St. Augustine that says this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. This idea that, that we singularly are loved by God. 
We belong to one another, and God loves us all collectively. We've talked about that in, in past Sundays, about the love of God. But we have to understand, and I think this is what Augustine was trying to explain here, is unlock the, the potential of God's love in our life. The fact that God loves us as if there were only just you. He doesn't love you because of others. He doesn't love you because of who you're related to. He doesn't love you because of what you've accomplished. God loves us individually as though there were only one of us. And this is, this is part of what it, it connected to for me is the fact that that's exactly how people experience Jesus when he walked this earth. So many times in the Gospels when you're reading the, the stories of Jesus and, and his ministry throughout um, the ancient world, it says that he looked at them. He listened to them. He heard the people. It has these action-oriented words that acknowledge that Jesus was on mission. He was set about the Father's business. That's what Scripture says. Like, he knew his purpose. He knew why he was there. But he loved people, and he, he interacted with them individually. And truthfully, he, he treated people in a way that was the full love of God, regardless of who they are. Whether, you know, sinner, saint, rich, poor, even those that needed to be held accountable. He, he would speak words of truth with a challenge, but also came with the love of God behind it. And so when we think about this, um, we can think about it in our own life of like people who have seen us and interacted with us individually as though we're the only person in the world. We don't get this from a lot of people, right? You get the distracted like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And they're like looking past you. And there was somebody in a, in a previous place I worked where anytime I had a conversation, I was like, would you please just look me in the eyes? Because they always had the conversation, but like kind of like looking to something else, like thinking about like, am I interrupting your, your world? Probably was. But it was like, I, just slow down and be present. And think about those moments, maybe in your own life where you've experienced that. Maybe it was in a meal or just a moment with somebody who loves you and you love them, and they just slow down and you feel in that moment that they are like connected and you feel like so present. It transforms who you are, right? It makes you feel in this place of being individually seen and heard and understood. And when we see Jesus' interactions with people, this is what we see. He looks them in the eye. He recognizes who they are. He's willing to touch those who would be deemed untouchable. He's willing to, to have conversations with people who were kind of on the do not talk to list, don't associate with list. So that's some of what we're going to look at, at the, over the next few weeks is just realizing that the love of God through Jesus is individual. And that's what Augustine was pointing to, is that, you know, we, we come to a place of realizing that, God, we need you in our lives. And, and, and our need of you is so vital and important that we thank you, God, that you love us individually. And then through this, we recognize that, that there is healing that can happen. And so then when we see people, when we see Jesus interacting with people, we realize that that healing work that's happening is, is happening in an individual way and teaching people something different and new about who God is, the kingdom of God. You know, in the ancient world, the kingdom of God was kind of controlled and possessed by Jewish men, wealthy Jewish men mostly, are the ones that, that were able to, to have access to God. They could go into the temple. They could make sacrifices. But if you weren't a man, if you weren't Jewish, and you weren't of some sort of stature, you were left on the outside. 
And then in many ways in the ancient world, and this is what Jesus was disrupting, was it was the idea that you weren't as blessed as others. You didn't have what others had, and so you had a secondary standing. And then even sometimes the question will be asked, well, because of what you don't have or because of your sickness or because of, of whatever, then maybe it's possible that God has actually cursed you that you're not blessed of God, you're not loved by God, you don't have a place of standing. And so if you were Gentile, or if you were a woman, or, or if you're a person who's sick, or if you were poor, you the questions could be asked of like, why haven't you been keeping the law? Why, why has God not given you a, a standing before him like he's given to others? And it's been this place where it would heap on shame and, and becoming kind of secondary to access who God is. And yet, then we have the tangible presence of Jesus show up. God in human form, show up and show us love, show us compassion. And he continually was breaking up these expectations that the religious community had created. He was continually stepping into places of saying, I see you. I'll restore you. I will set you free. You'll be made whole. You are loved by God. Look at this example. And this may not be an example that you would think of as a healing moment, But I think in just a few minutes, on the other side of what I'm about to share with you, you'll see just how healing and restorative this moment was. Think about um, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. As, As he meets the woman at the well, she, again, as we've just been saying, not only is she not Jewish, she's Samaritan, not only is she not a man, she's a woman, but she was most likely poor and she's experienced a rough life. She's had one husband after another after another. And then she's visiting the well at a time of day when there probably wouldn't have been others around so she could just kind of go about her business, do that, and and get away without talking to anyone. And then yet, here's Jesus. And once again, you know, he steps into a place of interacting with those that are at the lowest of the societal structure. He shows up and he treats her as though she is the only person there. He offers her living water. He tells her, you'll never thirst again and that you'll be fulfilled beyond your own understanding. And who is he talking to? He's not talking to his disciples. They had gone to do something else. He's not talking to a crowd of people. He's interacting with one. And these are his own words in John 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, talking of the living water that he has, or first, anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. That's from the well. He's pointing to the well. But then verse 14, but those who drink the water I give, this living water, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And as Jesus speaks these words, he, he looks her in the eye and through the loving power of God's spirit, he's restoring her. He's bringing healing to her mind to her heart. He's giving her a new understanding, a new identity. He's extending her an invitation to be made whole, to be made complete. And then as this interaction happens, this kind of individually loved by Jesus moment, the healing that's happening is is so much kind of stirring up within this woman that in verses 25 through 30, it says, the woman called, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, after everything he says, he then tells her, I am the Messiah. And what's so interesting is he almost nowhere else in the Gospels so directly addresses one person and says, I am the Messiah. 
But in this moment, as he's talked to her about living water and this life that will flow up inside of her and will restore her and give her strength, um, he, he speaks these words. And then here's what happens. She goes and she's like, I just, I got to tell people about this. And the, the scripture continues and says, just then his disciples come back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, of course, because again, culturally that shouldn't have been happening, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? But here's how we know that a healing, restoring work has happened. For all that this woman was in identity and culture and in standing within the community, verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? People respond. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This is a heart restored. This is a person who has been healed. This is a person who's experienced the healing love of Jesus. She may have not been physically sick and needed healing, but he is healing her heart, her mind, her soul. And think about this. Would you ever run into a group of people and be like, hey, come talk to this guy that just told me everything I ever did? Think about it. The good, the bad. Would you want people going and talking to a person who knows everything you've ever done? Probably not, right? I don't think I'm like, no, no, if somebody knows, let's just, let's don't, don't say anything, right? But instead, even though it feels so undoing and, and vulnerable, and, and what he said has been so direct to her, that the healing work of Jesus and calling out who she is, but then also saying, you are loved. Drink of the living water. You'll never be thirsty again. She's like, everybody's got to know. Everybody needs to hear this. And so a woman who previously had lived in, in maybe shame and guilt and feeling so secluded and isolated and cut off now comes to a place of saying, I've got to tell everyone about this. Everyone needs to know this. There's a healing work that happens somewhere in that process of just a few moments with Jesus. And that's the power that happens as we experience Jesus' healing power it, it happens so fully, so completely, but so personally, without discrimination. It's the healing power of Jesus that makes us whole and complete. If you have time this week, which you could have time, you just got to make time, read John chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Just take some time and read those, those, those verses of Scripture. It's not too long, but read through John 4, 5, and 6 with what we've been talking about already this moment, this morning, and see what is happening there, that time and time again, Jesus is having these encounters with people where it's, it's restoring them, it's transforming them. And all along the way, we see the healing power of Jesus at work and messages of hope that are going on. And the words that Jesus speaks, like if you've got a Bible with text in red, if you read the words that Jesus speaks here, they are truth and they're rich and deep in meaning. But at the same time, they bring hope. They bring restoration. They bring revelation of who God is. And here's where I want to bring things kind of to a summary to start bringing this together for us to set up what we'll talk about over the next few weeks. You know, we've, we've talked about the fact that, like, we need to acknowledge that we are people in need of that healing touch from God, but in, in, in uh, presence of Christ Jesus in our lives in that way, but also understanding that how we think about healing has to be changed and understanding that biblically it's the whole of a person who's being transformed, who's being um, restored, who's being set free. But we, the bottom line in all of this, we have to realize that the presence of Jesus is a promise of healing. 
The presence of Jesus is a promise of healing power. There's this tangible message that comes through the hope and healing found in Jesus Christ. And this is not just an ancient world thing. It's not just for the people that actually could see him and touch him. But it's realizing that as we follow Jesus, we then are promised in the same way that transforming power of God in our lives through Christ Jesus. If we're looking through John's gospel again and we get to John chapter 5, there's this moment where Jesus heals a man who's been laying beside the pool of Bethesda for almost, for almost 40 years, 38 years, the scripture says which very well could have been this, this man almost his entire life, has spent laying beside a pool. And we've preached on this before at Essence Place, but, but Jesus, you know, he sees the man laying there. And for some reason, even though there would have been a crowd of people with different types of physical ailments waiting for a moment of the miraculous to happen with the waters there in the pool to be healed, Jesus sees this man. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And in our minds, we think, well, yeah, of course he wants to be healed. If he can't walk and he spent almost 40 years laying on a mat and having to have others like bring him things and care for him, like wouldn't he want to be healed? And so Jesus asked this question. And, and there's this moment where as Jesus asked this question, that in our mind we jump immediately to yes, but the man's response, he starts to give Jesus the reasons why he hasn't been healed already. And even, again, in the ancient world and that culture, for him to experience healing, where then there's a strengthening to his body, as much as he may have wanted that, he's also built an identity around being the guy that's on the mat, having to have other people meet his needs, maybe having, having a cup or a bowl that he's asking for others to give a few, few bits of, of money just so that he could have a few things to meet his needs. Like He's kind of built a a comfortable way of living that's familiar and known. And then here is Jesus, and he's asking him, do you want to be healed? And so the man, you know, he gives his reasons. He gives his, um, really, justifications and excuses. And then Jesus goes, okay, pick up your mat and walk. And the healing happens. He stands up, he rolls up his mat, and he's walking. And he's, he's excited, and he's, he's starting to tell some people about it. And then what immediately follows this, and this is what's so crazy, is, you know, his lifelong identity has been changed in a moment, a healing encounter with Jesus. And as he is healed, obviously there are onlookers, because he's probably making some commotion, and people are like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's happening? What's that? And then the religious leaders start to step into this moment, and they start to harass Jesus. And look what the scriptures say, John 5, 16 through 21. So the Jewish leaders begin harassing Jesus for breaking Sabbath rules. Because you're not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath, and Jesus just did some healing work, and, and there's work happening. And not only that, the man's rolling up his mat and picking up his mat. That's work that he's not supposed to be doing. And so the religious system that has kind of institutionalized itself on knowing where things fit and knowing where people belong and knowing how things are supposed to happen says, wait, eh. Miracle canceled, you can't do this because it's the Sabbath. But what does Jesus say? Jesus replies and says, my father is always working and so am I. A God without limits, a God without boundaries. And the response of the religious culture says, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, Jesus. For he not only broke the Sabbath, but he took the offense even further, and he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. And we say, well, 
Yeah, obviously. No, duh. But to them, it's an offense. Not only have you done some sort of miracle, not only is he working now by picking up his mat and you're doing whatever in this space, you're not supposed to be working. Now you're saying that you're God and that God is continually working? I don't think so. So then Jesus responds. And the scriptures say, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Jesus has just performed a healing work, restoring a man's identity, giving him strength to his body, like giving him an ability to rise up and walk. Jesus continues and says, Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Verse 21, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. That moment, that, that prophetic moment where he says the Father gives life to the, to the dead. He raises the dead back to life, almost calling to his own death and resurrection. And then saying the Son gives life to anyone he wants. Guess what? That's you, that's me. Jesus desires to give life to anyone that he so chooses. And what have we already said? God loves each of us as though it was only one of us. So there's this love that God desires to do, this restoring love of this giving life that God desires to do. And he was doing it through Christ Jesus, and he continues to do it. These are the moments and the places where Jesus speaks hope and healing to the world. And what Jesus is saying by his own words is, guess what? I, Jesus, possess it all because I know who the Father is, and I know I am the Son. And out of the Father and through the Son flow this ability to have a fullness of life. And so we come to a place of thanking God for Jesus' presence in our lives. We thank God for that continual promise of healing. And it's, it's in these moments of interaction with Jesus that we see that there is a promise that's far beyond our understanding, our comprehension. Here's where I want to bring this to a close for us this morning. When we look at Jesus, we see the fact that God became flesh. That's what the scriptures tell us. That the God who is unseen is now made seen by Christ Jesus. And so there's this moment where the, the, the divine, like, unlimited power of God is somehow placed down into the body of a man named Jesus. And somehow by his presence walking in the world, he's doing the work that God had desired to do of restoring, of healing, of redeeming, of giving hope to those who are hopeless. And so what we see in this radical display of God's love is that there's this restoring of humanity that God desires to do. And the way that God does it is by taking himself and wrapping it with human flesh of becoming human like you and me. And so when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus touching and restoring humanity. And it's happening figuratively of, of touching and restoring, but it's also happening literally. The human flesh of Jesus' body making contact with others' body, others' bodies and, and, and lifting them up, of restoring them, of speaking with his human voice, words of truth that are far beyond the comprehension of a human mind. And so then we have in this moment of like the, the embodied Christ, like God in human form, giving dignity and restoration to us. 
in our bodies, in our human form. We have to realize that the, the entity of who Jesus was, but literally the body of Christ Jesus, is connected with our own bodies. And just as God created the first Adam and Eve and the first of humanity, God created a person in Christ Jesus to bear the fullness of who God is, and that through the broken and resurrected body of Jesus, we have the promise of hope. We have the promise of healing. We have the promise of restoration. And so when we think about the, the, the healing power of Jesus, part of what we have to come to a place of understanding is Jesus in his, in his, his embodied form was walking the earth and restoring other people and their bodies and their human form is giving restoration of giving hope. And then we understand that it breaks the power of shame. It breaks the power of guilt, guilt as we are freed, as we are healed, as we are made whole through Christ Jesus. It is the touch of Jesus that is redemptive and restorative. And so we invite it. We say, Jesus, come and work in me, in my body. Work in, in who I am, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul. God, would you do the work that, that is restoring, that's healing, that's setting free? Because we know that only God can do it through Christ Jesus. There's this moment in John chapter 10. There's some chapters later from what we've already read, but Jesus is teaching, and he says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. And to that I say, amen. Anybody else? A rich and satisfying life. Amen. Jesus says, that is why I am here. And then he uses that imagery of the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd is willing to sacrifice his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run away if he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. So the wolf comes, attacks them, scatters the flock. A hired hand runs away because he's working only for money. Doesn't really care about the sheep. But then again, he identifies himself and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. And he again says, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have sheep, other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And then listen to these words. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me, Jesus says. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. He has said these things. When Jesus said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Listen to this. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? But then others said, that doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And that's an invitation for us as we encounter Christ Jesus. There is a power that is embodied in who Jesus is. Jesus' presence with us that gives sight to the blind. Maybe it's our physical sight. But I think more so than that, it's giving a spiritual sight a spiritual understanding of the power of who Jesus is. And just as he's able to lay his, his body down and his life down and sacrifice for his sheep, he says he has the full power to raise up again and to bring hope, healing, protection, restoration.
We focus on the power of, of Christ Jesus' blood, of his broken body, that we think of, you know, through Easter, yes, and as we partake in communion together, we remember the sacrificing nature of Jesus saying, I am willing to give it all for you. This is the body of Christ Jesus, broken for us, restored for us to give us hope and healing. So over the next few weeks, we're going to encounter some of these stories of Jesus um, bringing that healing touch to people, bringing that restorative power. And we're going to, in our own lives, acknowledge, yeah, I need that in me. I need that work to happen in me. And remember that God loves us individually far beyond what we could comprehend. Can I pray for us this morning? Will you bow your head? God, we recognize and understand that you are God and God alone. God, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is with us both now and forevermore. God, we thank you for these stories of Jesus that were captured in a way that bring us into moments of restoration, moments of healing, moments of of your power being unfolded for people who weren't even ready to understand it or comprehend it. God, we thank you for the miraculous that you have done and you continue to do. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the power of Christ Jesus once again. God, I pray that you would give us a a humility and a vulnerability to, to come before you with all that we are, both the places that we feel the strength of our own being, but the places where we feel our own weaknesses, that we would come before you and we would say, God, would you work? Would you heal? Would you strengthen? Jesus, we thank you for the stories and the moments that you have already shown that you work miracles whether it's the stories that are captured in the gospel scriptures or the stories we know in our own lives or we've seen on behalf of others where you do amazing things. Lord, I pray that you would heighten our expectation over these next few weeks as we again enter the stories of Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that even this week you would shift our thinking. God, that you would bring us into places of being willing to call out your name once again, maybe for circumstances or, or um, places in need of healing that we've said, ah, a miracle will never come. God, would you bring us to places of being willing to call on your name? Christ Jesus, we thank you that you so freely laid down your body, your broken body, on behalf of others. God, we thank you that through the power of Christ Jesus' broken body and blood that was shed, that we can know you and we can know you fully. We can know you as we are restored to you. And we pray, God, that you would just do the work that only you can do in our hearts and lives. We commit ourselves to you once again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.